and welcome to the Currency Exchange, NatWest Markets FX Podcast, where we break down the major themes and events driving currency markets this week and in the weeks ahead. While with safe haven demand and full flow, um, given developments in the Middle East and also U.S. relative growth outperformance, the dollar remains underpinned. So we thought it was a high time for a dollar update with our U.S. head of G10 FX rate strategy, uh, Brian Dangerfield. Brian, thank you for joining me today. Um, It's a big week next week for the U.S. We've got both a Federal Reserve rate decision meeting and also the U.S. jobs report. What are you looking out for when it comes to the dollar? Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Emer. So, the like you mentioned, it is a big week ahead um, here in uh, here in the U.S. We've got uh, the Federal Reserve meeting next week, and then, as you mentioned, the jobs report as well. Starting with the Federal Reserve, um, it does look like this meeting may be shaping up to be a bit of a placeholder meeting. Um, the Federal Reserve has been pretty consistent in its signaling recently. FOM see participants from across the spectrum, some of the most hawkish members, some of the more dovish members, have all been kind of singing a similar tune about the ability for the Fed to take a bit of a pause for breath and assess, uh, you know, assess their policy stance as they await signs that lags in policy are starting to work their way through the system, and also eyeing financial conditions. So specifically, tightening in financial markets via increases in long-term interest rates. So this is a message that a lot of the FOMC members have been discussing in the in the preceding weeks. Um, and they seem to be really coalescing around this message of we can skip in the November meeting as we wait and see how things develop. No one, I think, is ruling out the possibility of additional tightening to be sure it's not our modal expectation. We think the Fed cycle is likely over at this point. But I don't think the Fed's in a position where they're willing to rule out additional tightening. But it's clear they've set the market up for no change in policy at this November meeting. Now, unlike in the prior meeting, at the November decision, we're not going to have the summary of economic projections, which is the new forecast profile uh, for inflation and growth. We're also not going to have the dot plot, which is the projection of the Fed funds rate at the end of, you know, at the end of the year going out to, uh, you know, several years. And so that kind of limits the signaling power of this upcoming meeting relative to those meetings that have those releases. There's more opportunity. There's more content for the market to really grab onto. So we're really going to have to rely on the short statement and the Powell press conference uh, on Wednesday afternoon as the driver of the market. And now, as far as the press conference is concerned, we are just coming off of the heels of a Powell speech at the Economics Club of New York um, just about a week ago, which effectively looked very much like what I imagined the press conference would be. If anything, I think it's likely that the Powell speech uh, last week was effectively what we are going to hear in the press conference, almost verbatim. Now, there's definitely room for differences uh, because when Powell speaks in private forums like Economics Club of New York, as I mentioned, he speaks for himself. When he speaks at the FOMC, he speaks on behalf of the committee. And so there's potential nuances in his views where if he gives his own view last week, he may have to give a more uh, more consensus view uh, in the week ahead when he speaks for the FOMC. But so many of the points that the Fed has been making and Powell has been making, he really repeated uh, you know, he and, and emphasized at that speech last week. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of the same undertones in the FOMC press conference as the um as we heard already. And so it's looking like a bit of a placeholder meeting. The Fed has gone through great lengths to try and signal the market almost exactly what they're going to say. And I think the market is very well prepared as a result. 
And if monetary policy is not going to be doing the driving for the dollar next week, it feels like it's going to fall back to the data. And that data has continued to be extremely resilient. U.S. GDP growth in the third quarter that was released as we record this morning uh, actually came in above expectations, almost 5% on the headline. And the big driver of that, I should say, quarter on quarter annualized almost 5%, with the big driver of that being consumer spending. We've known for a while that the retail sales, the monthly numbers have just been spectacular U.S. consumer hasn't shown really any meaningful signs of slowdown. And in the past week, we also just got relative PMI uh, PMI data, the Purchasing Manager Index survey data, showing better than expected numbers here in the U.S. and worse than expected numbers uh, across Europe. And so we continue to see this environment where growth divergence is continuing. Now, we're going to get a number of key releases next week including the U.S. Employment Report. We'll also get ISMs, which are also a Purchasing Managers Index, which get a lot of focus. And so Plenty to watch next week. I think the dollar is more likely to be driven by what that data are telling us. And, you know, we're coming off of, we continue to think that it's getting more and more difficult for the U.S. data to surprise us to the top side. But, man, it continues delivering on that. And the dollar is certainly finding uh, support from that. Yeah, there just seems to be nothing that will slow down the U.S. economy. And I think you make a great point about, you know, the Fed and them acknowledging, you know, the tightening that we've seen at the long end of the Treasury yield curve, which is actually doing some of the work for them. That does mean higher U.S. borrowing costs. And I know we've got the Treasury refunding announcement next week. You know, do you think this is actually going to be a driver um, of the dollar in these kind of um, kind of unprecedented times? So as a backdrop, you know, the quarterly refunding announcement is something that we usually don't focus too heavily on for foreign exchange markets, for interest rate markets and the, you know, the, the shape of the interest rate curve. It's obviously quite important because for background here, the refunding is when Treasury effectively tells us how they plan on financing their deficits. Are they going to be borrowing more in front end? Uh, are they going to be issuing more front end uh Treasury notes? Are they going to be issuing more long bonds? Are they going to be issuing more tips or T-bills? You know, that's sort of Obviously, that makes a big difference in terms of the supply of specific issues, specific coupon issues, where on the curve that tends to matter quite a bit. For FX markets, I don't think the specifics of each refunding tends to be a big driver. But this time, I think we have to make an exception and pay a little bit more attention to the specifics here. Because since the so Treasury goes through this process quarterly, the last time they announced their um, auction sizes, they signaled that auctions were likely to continue to increase in size to account for rising deficits and some other factors like potential future buyback operations. Uh, and this is something that, you know, three months later, we've seen significant changes in market conditions, particularly in the long end. So for context, the 30-year bond yield when the August refunding happened was around 4%, and today it's around 5%. So you've had an 100 basis points increase in the 30-year 30 uh, 30 yield as we head into this refunding. And now Treasury's already effectively told us they expect ongoing increases in coupon issuance, uh, coupon sizes, coupon auction sizes. And so our expectation is that you continue to get bumps in nominal coupons uh, auction sizes across the board. Uh, but the big changes in long-term rates in particular certainly have some in the market wondering if there's some opportunity for Treasury to be maybe a bit more flexible here to say, long-term bond yields have risen significantly. One of the potential reasons for that is concerns around supply and demand, which are reflected in higher term premium. So is there any opportunity for Treasury to come in and say, you know what, market conditions may not be conducive to us increasing coupon auction sizes in these longer term tenors? Um, so that's something that I think is certainly getting more interest. Um, it sort of runs against the idea of Treasury's desire to be uh, to be predictable in its issuance patterns. I think Treasury considers that has a tradition of thinking that 
the more predictable they are in issuance patterns, uh, the longer term benefits they can get from that are better than trying to be strategic. You know, you could introduce market volatility if Treasury is trying to be strategic in its issuance options. But this is something that because long term yields have been moving higher um, so significantly so quickly, and that's been increasing market volatility in some cases. It's uh, been a big game changer in emerging markets, something that you and your team, Emer, have been focusing on a lot. The specifics of how Treasury decides to address supply and specifically coupon issuance for long-term debt is something that I think FX markets need to be a little bit more focused on. Because if Treasury just continues as it as they were in increasing coupon auction sizes in the long end, that could create some you know some uncertainty or so, uh, about whether there's enough demand for long-term yields at the moment. Uh, to meet this extra supply. So just for context, the last 30-year bond reopening auction we had at an assumed lower level of uh, of actual issuance than what we'll get in the coming months after the refunding. Uh, That auction tailed the market by a pretty significant margin, over three basis points versus the when issued level. So just as, you know, one, one auction does not make a trend, but there are legitimate concerns right now that there is, you know, that the supply demand imbalance in the market right now, that no one wants to step in and try and support the market that's been uh, that, that's been falling pretty consistently, uh, falling in price terms, rising in yield terms, right? So for FX markets, the, the feed through here is we think the market may be a little bit worried if Treasury continues to just increase auction sizes at its plan levels uh, at these sort of predictable rates. Uh, and that might increase concern over long end supply and demand uh, imbalance. And with it, because long term yields are so important for FX markets right now, we think it requires a bit more attention than we would normally give it as FX investors. Yeah, it's interesting when you see, you know, the US, which is the world's reserve currency, reserve assets, really having to respond to kind of unprecedentedly high um, borrowing costs. It's definitely something we've seen in emerging markets where they've had to compromise credit quality. Would it be that FX issuance? With issuance at the very front end in order to avoid locking in those high borrowing costs. There is one other thing I wanted to draw you on, and uh, I do love a conspiracy theory. We had dollar yen trading above 150 um, over nine inches this morning's European session, and then a very sharp depreciation, which looked a lot like FX intervention. Brian, is it FX intervention, or is this kind of the market almost anticipating FX intervention? Yeah, I think this is the maybe third or fourth time now that we've had very sort of jumpy price action to the downside as we've approached some of these key levels, right? And so is it intervention? Is it non-intervention? You know, we discussed uh, a lot of the modalities around this when it happened in early October. Uh, and it looks like the scale of the move once again suggests that it's not outright intervention. Um, it may be rate check. It may just be market positioning, that small changes in positioning at the sort of at these key levels that market is very wary of intervention risk lead to outsized moves because the market is very fearful of potential intervention, uh, buying the yen, uh, selling foreign currency by the, the authorities to support the yen, uh, support yen strength. So 150 is a level that we didn't think necessarily held specific value in terms of this is a level that needs to be defended. But when we had the big market move uh, back in early October, when we first broke through 150 in this sort of stage of the cycle, when we first broke through 150 in early October, when we had that big move to the downside, that we thought really increased the level of 150, the importance of the level of 150 in the market, just because of the price action around it. And that was clearly the case over the last couple of days. 
as well, where, you know, we had about a week where we were bouncing in sort of the 149.50, 149.90 range in dollar yen with 150, you know, sort of looming on the top side, but the market sort of unwilling or unable to sort of push it above that key level. Um, but of course, over that same time period, over the month of October, you've seen further widening of interest rate differentials in favor of the dollar. You've seen economic growth in the U.S. has continued to uh, surge along. And so the pressure has remained there. But there is still a bit of maybe a disconnect between the fundamental drivers from relative rates, which have been pushing in favor of the dollar versus the yen generally, um, against the market being a little bit more cautious in terms of trying to position for that because of fears um, of the Bank of Japan. All of this comes as we look forward to the Bank of Japan's upcoming meeting uh, next week, uh, where the Bank of Japan is going to have an opportunity to weigh in on monetary policy and in, in this context of, uh, of, yen, of yen weakness. Um, a lot of smoke in the media around the idea of a possible change in yield curve control once again. So for context, back in July, the Bank of Japan introduced <clears throat> excuse me, what we call flexible yield curve control. What that effectively did is it raised the cap on one uh, on 10-year JGB yields, which the, the Bank of Japan would accept, from half a percent to one percent. The idea there was that the Bank of Japan did not want to have to be forced to defend any specific level of 10-year JGBs anymore. They wanted to be more flexible to allow rates to rise and not necessarily be forced to be spending a significant amount of, uh, of monies effectively buying the market when the fundamental factors were pushing it higher. And so what they did was they set this level of 1% at a level that was very far above where the market was actually trading with the idea that they could come in strategically rather than be forced to defend any specific level. Now we're coming up at a point where with long-term yields globally under upward pressure, including 10-year JGBs, there's a consideration of what happens if 1% is suddenly tested on the top side. Then you're back in this conundrum that BOJ was trying to avoid. They don't want to have to defend a specific level of rates. They set the target at 1%, I believe, in part because they felt that that was a level that might not be tested anytime soon. That's clearly changed. Um, and so I think there's a consideration. I think there's certainly an argument here to be made for the Bank of Japan to change yield curve control again, either lift the target or make some changes uh, to the way it is implemented. Uh, maybe a bigger question in the for, for yen watchers is whether there's any scope to change uh, short-term policy. The Bank of Japan not only has yield curve control, they also have a negative rate policy, and that looks a little bit more entrenched. Um, the Bank of Japan has been telling us that they think that they need to see confirmed evidence that wage inflation is rising and that that can mean that the inflation they're seeing is more sustainable, not just from international causes, but from domestic causes as well. And so I think the expectation there is that they will be a little bit more patient on front end rates, instead waiting for early next year when we have these Shunto wage rounds, which is a very important moment in terms of seeing how changes in inflation and the growth backdrop are feeding into uh, wage setting and wage standards. And so I think most are expecting that the yield Policy in the front end may not be changed until much later, uh, possibly in sort of the beginning of sort of the first half of next year's more likely target. But I think that the case for changing yield curve control next week uh, has probably increased here, uh, given the uh, uh, the way that yields have moved. For the Bank of Japan, I think it's a difficult balancing act, right? Because as they continue to keep this ultra dovish policy, it puts downward pressure on the yen. We happen to have fiscal stimulus coming in Japan uh, from the uh, from from the fiscal government uh, from from the government, with the idea of trying to limit the impact of high inflation 
on Japanese consumers. So you have almost a, uh, a, a difference here between the government is trying to limit the impact of high inflation on its consumers, and the Bank of Japan has a policy in place that's aimed at encouraging inflation to remain and to and to continue to uh, continue to increase effectively. And so it's it's a difficult conundrum they find themselves in. Uh, but I think the case for yield curve control to be tweaked again next week has probably improved. Yeah, it's definitely a very hard policy to defend in this environment where you're seeing those very sharp back end sell offs. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. That's probably about all we have time for. And thank you for taking me through all those different currencies. Um, guys, if you like the podcast, do please, please click subscribe and remember to like uh, the podcast as well. Thanks again for joining us.